Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 65 as we continue our series on Isaiah. It's interesting, in Isaiah 66 and verse 13, God uh, speaks of himself as a mother. We always think of the fatherhood of God, but here he says in uh, verse 13 of 66, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And you will be comforted over Jerusalem. He was speaking of the fact of Jerusalem's destruction that would come. Notice here, the motherhood of God. That, uh, like a mother comforts her children, he comforts his. He encourages, he soothes, uh, strengthens. Abraham Lincoln said that all I ever hope to be and all I am, I owe to my mother. George Washington said he was molded by his mother's pious teaching and by her prayers. He was a man that was, his character was the wonder of the world in a sense. Robert Moffat, who was a missionary to Africa and who later on was very influential in David Livingston, who is such a well-known missionary to Africa, going there as a missionary. Robert Moffat uh, was on his road to fame and fortune, and his mother said to him, Robert, I want you to promise me something. And he said, what is that, mother? And she said, well, I just want you to promise it. Uh, it's not a big thing. Not, it won't take a lot of your time. He said, well, what is it? She said, will you promise to do it? And he said, all right. She said, oh, you're getting ready to go out into a world that's full of temptation and evil. And I want you to promise me that you'll start every day and end every day with God. And he did make that promise. And he said that changed his life. And that that was resulted in his call to be a missionary and tremendous impact in Africa. Mother certainly comforts, encourages, trains. But uh, the child's ultimate well-being is the great burden of her heart. If she understands the world, she understands why we're here, what life is all about, her ultimate burden is for that child to make it home safe. And she watches and waits for that. As a poem, The Watcher, Mother. She always leaned to watch us, anxious if we were late. In winter by the window, in summer by the gate. And though we mocked her tenderly, who had such foolish care, the long way home would seem more safe because she waited there. Her thoughts were all so full of us, she never could forget. And so I think that where she is, she must be watching yet, waiting till we come home to her, anxious if we are late, watching from heaven's window, leaning from heaven's gate. Your mom's in heaven, like mine is. She's watching. She's waiting. 
you to make it home safe. That's the burden of every mother's heart who understands the true nature of life. Well, uh, Isaiah addresses those ultimate issues here in this 65th chapter. And he addresses the new heaven, the new earth, the final state. But let's look at what he says in uh, verse 1. He speaks of the seeking of God by the Gentiles. It says, uh, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. That's referring to the future coming of the Gentiles to be a part of God's Zion, God's true people. That would happen with the coming of Jesus Christ, with his crucifixion, resurrection, great commission, sending out his disciples to all the world to make disciples to preach the good news of God's Son who died for sinners and who offers salvation, forgiveness, relationship with God, ultimately heaven as a free gift by grace through surrender to him and trust in him. Now, this is referring to that. That the day was coming. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. Now, uh, Paul, Apostle Paul in Romans 10, applies this to the Gentiles, that he was reaching. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. That was his particular assignment. And... Uh, of course, all the world is Jew or Gentile in the way the Bible divides it up. Now, notice here, they find him. I reveal myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. The reason they find is he reveals himself. He makes himself known. If you're a Christian, it's because he made himself known to you. Uh, in Second Corinthians it says, God who caused the light to shine in darkness. In the original creation, he said, let there be light. Has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, it's because God said, let there be light in Mary. Let there be light in John and Sam. And here he says, I reveal myself to those who did not ask for me. They weren't seeking. But he sought them and made himself known. Uh, here's the sovereign grace of God. Now, uh, notice he represents it as speaking to them. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, Here am I. Here am I. And he's speaking of all these Gentile peoples who were worshiping idols. But he revealed himself as the message went out. Through the messengers. That's how he does it. Now, then he speaks of his spreading of his hands to the Jews in verse 2. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. Now, here's referring to the Jewish people uh, that he had chosen and made himself known to. Uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and uh, all along. Uh, you notice how he 
depicts this, holding out his hands toward them. He sent the prophets. He gave them his word. And uh, he sent punishments to turn them to him. Read in Amos where he says, uh, in chapter 4, Your young men have I slain with a sword, yet have you not returned to me. I sent famine and uh, drought, yet have you not returned unto me. He would send punishments. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, pain is God's megaphone to raise the dead. He did that in love. But the Jewish people went on in this obstinance. He says, I, all day long I held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good. Think of Jesus Christ uh, as he, last week of his life, he comes over the mountain, he sees Jerusalem before him, and he weeps, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered you? He's talking about down through the centuries as God the Son. How often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks? And you would not. Therefore, your house is left unto you desolate. He said, The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruit thereof. The kingdom of God, that spiritual kingdom uh, where... Uh, People are in his kingdom because he's king in them. They've surrendered to him and they've placed their faith in, of course, in that day, in the blood of the Lamb. In his promise to forgive them through the Lamb that the priest would offer. And that Lamb pictured Jesus Christ, the true Lamb, who would be priest and sacrifice, would offer himself. And uh, But he... Uh, he all through the period there. Uh, he says the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. They had the opportunities, but they didn't respond. So here they had all this light. It was going to be taken away and given to the Gentiles, to a people bringing forth the fruit thereof. And so many of us are now in the kingdom because he's king in us, the spiritual kingdom. Now, uh, he depicts himself there as hands held out to them. That speaks of accessibility, it speaks of opportunity, but it speaks of responsibility, accountability. If you don't respond, you notice, if we do respond, it's because he made himself known. If we don't respond, it's our own fault. Uh, we need to blame ourselves. We need to thank God if we come, but we need to blame ourselves if we don't. What about you? God's holding out his hands. Have you come? Uh, has he made himself known to you as the light dawned? Uh, where all of a sudden you say, you mean to tell me that uh, Jesus was God, the Son, and he paid in full for my sins? And if I surrender my will to him and trust in him, I am forgiven and the matter is settled? And he will change the way I live? He will come and change me? Has that happened to you? Has a change come? Has the light gone? Uh, now, notice the description of the nation's rebellion here. He says in verse 2 there, All day long I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their imaginations. Uh, boy, think about our nation. The uh, 
article in the Wall Street Journal last week. Uh, what next? A doctorate of depravity? Is that what we'll be offering in our universities? And he gives account here of the State University of New York at New Paul's uh, sparked a, f- a firestorm last fall by holding a conference called Revolting Behavior, the Challenges of Women's Sexual Freedom. It featured workshops on subjects such as sex toys for women, which were demonstrated. Uh, and uh, and uh, things on uh, sadomasochism uh, and so on. And now they, in May 1 and 2 of this year, they, it says the sort of things featured in revolting behavior, a business as usual at college campuses today. Anyone who doubts this should have attended the queer Publics Queer Privates, a conference presented on May 1 and 2 at New York University by the NYU Queer Faculty Group, and so on, uh, across the country. That type thing. In uh, Brooklyn, Massachusetts, elementary school, a transsexual was invited to a first grade class to give details of his sex change operation. Ashland, Massachusetts, children were assigned to play Gaze in a school skit. One boy's line was, it's natural to be attracted to the same sex. Two girls were told to hold hands and pretend they were lesbians. Parents were not informed in advance. Silver Lake High School in Massachusetts, ninth grade health text reads, you may come to the conclusion that growing up means rejecting the values of your parents. Well, they walked in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. And they provoked God. And verse 3, of people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in garden and burning incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves spending their, and spend their nights keeping secret vigil. Their idolatry and their occult practices were an offense to God. They continually provoked God. And the determination of God... Uh, to inflict retribution for this. In uh, verse 5, he says, the last part, Such people are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning all day. Uh, See, it stands written before me, I will not keep silent, but will pay back in full. He says, I've had this written down. God keeps a book in a sense. You remember where it talks in Revelation about the books being opened. And being judged out of the things which are written therein. He says, I record this. Uh, and uh, it stands written before me. And he says, I will not keep silent, but will pay back. Here's this retribution. The recording of sin, the retribution to them. Uh, I will pay back into their laps both their sins and the sins of your fathers, says the Lord. Now, there's the seeking of God by the Gentiles, uh, the spreading out of God's hands to the Jews, the separating by God within the nation between the remnant and the rebels in the nation. In uh, verse 8, this is what the Lord says, As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes, and men say, Don't destroy it, there is yet some good in it, so will I do in behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, those who will possess my mountains, who will possess uh, the land there, in a sense, of Israel. 
But then uh, the nation, there were those who were true servants of his. And he distinguishes those. And he spares the nation uh, because of those. He would bring them back from captivity in Babylon, back into the land there, and uh, spare them for a period of time. Uh, you notice the description of the godly remnant and how they'd be saved. In verse 9, I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, those who will possess my mountains. My chosen people will inherit them, and there my servants will live. They are those who are servants of God. They are his chosen. They inherit the kingdom. They inherit his mountains. They inherit these blessings that are symbolized there by uh, the land. The land of Canaan really pictures, in a sense, heaven. And his true servants, they inherit. They are his descendants here. Now, the destruction, though, of the choosers of evil. Verse 11. But as for you who forsake the Lord and forget my holy mountain, who spread a table for fortune and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you for the sword, and you will all bend down for the slaughter. For I called and you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. So, he says, but as for you, he returns to those who choose evil and uh, describe, describes them as worshiping false gods here. And uh, he would do this. They chose, they went against light. They knew far better. They had more light than anyone else in the world. Who has more light than anyone else in the world today? People who live in the Bible Belt of the United States have more light than anyone else in the world today. And if we choose to do evil like they did, if we turn our backs on God, we're far more guilty. We have far more light than they did. We've got 2,700 years after this of seeing all this come to pass, just like it was said. Boy, if they were in trouble, how much greater trouble are we in if we don't respond to him? Now, we see the preservation of the true servants, the destruction of the choosers of evil. Notice the comparison between the two groups in verse 13. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice. Uh, but you will be put to shame. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit. You will leave your name to my chosen ones as a curse. Your name would be synonymous with a curse, he says to this group. Now, the sovereign Lord will put you to death, but to his servants he will give another name. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land and so on. So, here's this contrast. This comparison between the two groups. Man, that's reminiscent of Jesus' contrast when he told the parable of Lazarus and Dives. And he talked about they both died. And Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom and Dives goes to hell. And in torment, he lifts up his eyes and he sees Lazarus and he says, Father Abraham, let Lazarus dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in torment in this place. And Abraham says, I'm sorry. He says, you can't pass from here to you or you to us. Man, the contrast. 
as drawn here, when he talks about uh, the food that my servants will eat, he's talking about the spiritual blessings. He's not talking so much about the literal eating and drinking or having the physical provisions. He's talking about spiritual blessings uh, that go with being his servant and being a part of his kingdom there. Now, notice we've seen here the, the seeking of God by the Gentiles. Man, and that has come true. It's coming true every day. The holding out of his hands to the Jews. The separating between uh, the remnant and the rebels. And now the sanctifying of the earth from all sin. There's a day coming when there will be no sin in the earth. In uh, verse 16. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the God of truth. He who takes an oath in the land will swear by the God of truth, for the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. The day is coming. Here's a changed situation in the earth. The day is coming when men, whoever seeks a blessing, will do it in the name of the true God. Whoever prays will pray in the name of the true God, Jesus Christ They'll pray to God the Father through Christ the Son. Uh, that day is coming. Uh, he will be everywhere in the world acknowledged. Only true believers will be in the earth. That's what's being said here. Notice uh, why this will be. He says, the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. Uh, it'll be gone, a new heaven, a new earth. Verse 17, behold, I will create New heavens, a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Here's this new heaven and new earth. What's meant by that? Well, that was partially fulfilled, partially fulfilled at the first coming of Christ. When Christ came and ushered in a new phase of his kingdom, this new creation began, in a sense, at that point. we talk about if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Uh, we sang love divine, all love's excelling a little earlier. The last verse, finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory into glory. Till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Finish then thy new creation. You started in us. Lord, finish it. Let's begin. Uh, But it will be ultimately fulfilled in a literal new heaven, new earth, when Christ returns. You remember in 2 Peter, Peter talks about this, and he says, uh, and it's in the earlier here in... Isaiah, he has spoken of the fact that this is going to happen. In Isaiah 34, 4, he says, All the stars of the heaven will be dissolved, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. In Isaiah 51, 6, the heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. Second Peter puts it like this. Peter says, In the last days there will come scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? You say Jesus is coming back. It hadn't happened. It won't happen. Where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. And he says, 
God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's waiting, holding out his hands, giving men time to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works of therein shall be burned up. It says, nevertheless, we according to his promise. And here's the promise. Look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. No sin. No sin in that new heaven and new earth. That day's coming. When Christ comes back. Uh, notice he's delaying his coming. And when he comes back, that's what will happen. Now, uh, this, that will be a glorious rejuvenation. Now, it could be that it will be a total new earth, or it could be this earth renewed, rejuvenated. Uh, Patrick Fairman, in his typology of Scripture, says, Why may not God do a like work of purification and refinement on this earth so as to transform and adapt it as a fit residence for man in glory? He said, I can't think of anywhere I'd rather be than this earth uh, renewed. I remember one day when my children were little driving along, and, and uh, it was just a beautiful fall day and all the colors and everything. And uh, I remember uh, our children say, uh, Daddy, what will heaven be like? This is so pretty. What will heaven be like? And I said, well, honey, what would you like to have it like? And she said, well, I think I'd like it, this world, without any death or disease or sickness, like that. Maybe that's what it's going to be, this world without any of that. You say, well, wait a minute, though. What happens, well, in, in Romans eight nineteen, it talks about all of creation is standing on tiptoe, waiting, waiting for this. Here's Philip's translation. He says, he's on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. All of creation is waiting for this. It's going to be set free from the curse that it's under. And you say, wait a minute, what about heaven? Well, remember that uh, in Revelation 21 where John says, I saw a new heaven, a new earth. First heaven was passed away and there was no more sea. And so I saw a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice saying, The dwelling place of God is with men. I will dwell with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. So that's that new heaven, new earth. Sounds like heaven will be on earth. It's new earth. Well, what will it be like there? Look at uh, verse 17. It says, I will create a new heaven, new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Uh, and there will be everlasting joy, verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. There will be perfected fellowship with God. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. Boy, perfected fellowship. And there'll be no more weeping. And verse 19, the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. There won't be any death. 
Verse 20, Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought of as a mere youth, and he who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. Not that anyone will die there. That's a poetic way of saying there won't be any death. Again, in Revelation 21, where he says, There will be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither will there be any more pain. The former things are passed away. He that sat upon the throne said, Right, I make all things new. These words are true and faithful. Now, uh, no danger of invasion or destruction. Verse 21, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people, my chosen one, will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. They will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Notice his answer to prayer. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. And the harmony and the peace. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. And they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And again, now, you read about that, the wolf and the lamb. You read in, in uh, Isaiah 11, where that began, that peace and harmony began at Christ's first coming. It's not complete. It will be complete in that new heaven, new earth. But it began between God and man. In the first coming of Christ, where his is a kingdom of peace. He gives peace. Peace with God. Peace with fellow Christians. Peace where there's been disharmony as we appropriate his power to live in peace. Goodness gracious. This new heaven, new earth. These are great ultimate issues. Have you taken of that water of life so that... All this is your future inheritance, in a sense. Uh, or you, you know, there are only two groups here. Only two groups. Those who offend God, who walk in ways not good, and those who are his servants, who inherit his promises, who have those blessings. Which group? Which group? Now, now, this is made known to us so we can act on it. Uh, Peter, in Second Peter there, he says, Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness, hastening unto this? Man, living our lives in the light of this, reaching out to others with this message. That's how he makes himself known. That's how he says, Here am I. As we go, and we say, did, did I ever tell you about what happened to me, how Christ has changed my life? How about coming to this Bible study? How about you and I getting together one day a week and looking at some things together? That's how he does it, as we share these others. And when we put our trust in him, we are his. Our lives have changed. And so the evidence, the reality of our faith, they're not perfect, but they're different. Different from the world around us. When that's true, we don't need to be afraid. Bold shall I stand in thy great day. Who art, who ought to my charge shall lay? We don't need to be afraid. A great hymn, it says, 
Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, I shall with joy lift up my head. Man, uh, the pilgrim nature of this life, so many things that people are living their lives for, they're going to pass away. And you've heard me share about my neighbor who keeps his yard so well, just perfectly. And I don't keep my yard that well. And I've worried about one day him saying to me, why don't you keep your yard better? And I thought, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, you grow grass, I grow people. What are we putting our lives into? Now, don't misunderstand, you know, I ought to keep my yard. (laughs) Love your neighbor, paint your house. (laughs) But what are we living for? Man, some folks are living for things that are going to pass away. That's not what life's all about. God's spreading out His hands to all of us. He wants to spread out His hands through our hands being spread out to others. And Mama's watching. Mama's up there. Her thoughts were all so full of us, she never could forget. And so I think that where she is, she must be watching yet, waiting till we come home to her, anxious if we are late, watching from heaven's window, leaning from heaven's gate. Mama wants you there, if Mama understands. And if Mama doesn't understand, you want Mama there. Let us pray. As our hearts have bowed, where is your mother? Where are your children? Where are you in regard to God's hands held out or holding out your hands on his behalf to others? What are you living for? What changes need to be made? If you've never really surrendered your will to Christ, He's not your master, you're not His servant. That change, that new creation, hasn't come into your life in a lasting way. But you want that. You want to be in His kingdom. You're willing to have Him as your master. Pray in your heart like this, Lord Jesus, I thank You for the offer to be in Your kingdom And Lord, I come to you. I ask that you give yourself to me now. Come and live in me. Clear me of my guilt. Change me. I trust you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.